Good morning, Bexhill. Um, good to be with you. As I've got to know Steve and Paul and some of the team over the last few years, um, so it's good to be with you. Um, I, I feel your pain as well. I used to be uh, part of a church in Bury St. Edmunds in Suffolk um, before I was in Seven Oaks. That was part of the relational mission, and we used to meet in a school as well. So I know what it's like to get here and set up every week. Um, I know the the work that goes into that, but um, yeah, so it's good to be with you. I don't think I've ever been to Bex Hill before, so this is a first for me. I'm really sorry about that, but uh, to be honest, I haven't seen much of it so far, um, So, but it's good to be here. Um, yeah, as Steve said, I'm an elder at Seven Oaks. Um, I've got three children and one wife. Um, we've been married now for 16 years this year, um, and Jesus... Uh, used my wife as a, a huge part of me coming to Christ because I don't have a Christian background. My parents aren't Christians. Um, I'd never really stepped foot in a church before. Um, I think I'd been to two harvest festivals at school. I bunked off the rest and one wedding in a church. That's the only time I'd ever been in a church. And uh, I met my wife and I, she told me she was a Christian. And I was like, and? We're all Christians, aren't we? We, we live in England. Um, but she, she invited me to come along to church. And what, to be honest, I didn't want to go because I played football on Sundays. I, I thought I was pretty good. I was very deluded back then as well. And, um, but I wanted to get the in-laws on, on side. Her parents, although I'm in, my in-laws now, um, I wanted to get them on side because they didn't like me, which was a fair judgment, to be quite honest, at the time. Um, uh, she met me in the pub, so that kind of tells you about where I was. Uh, Gemma worked as a, uh, a barmaid in her holidays from university, and I used to go there pretty much every day after work, um, and that's where we met. But Jesus used her. And I, I, the first day I went to, to church, I'd never been to a charismatic evangelical church before, and, wow, that was weird. <laughs> it really freaked me out. Um, I sat as far back as I could, and the, I think I even moved the chair from the back row to sit as close to the door as I could. And um, actually, I, I didn't say this earlier, but when I got there, there was this lady who I now run Alpha with. She turned around and spoke to me. And they used to do this awkward thing back then where if you were a visitor, they used to get you to stand up and, and, and everyone would welcome you. And she said, oh, would you like us to welcome you? And you can stand up. And I said, if you do that, I'm leaving. <coughs> so they didn't do that. Anyway, and then they started singing. And I thought, man, these lot are enthusiastic about this. And people were putting their hands in the air. And this was freaking me out. <laughs> and then um, the, the guy that planted Hope at the church in Seven Oaks, it was called Town Church back then, uh, Norman Blows was preaching, and uh, Steve probably knows Norman, and Norman is probably about this high. He's very, very excitable little chap, and he's he's preaching very enthusiastically, and he's bouncing around at the front talking about. Jeez, he's really excitable. Norman's now seventy-three. He has not changed since <laughs> over those years. He still bounces around and preaches. You know, he had a. Uh, I was leading, helping him lead the church in Bury St. Edmunds because he moved from Seven Oaks to there. He had a stroke, and two weeks later, he's bouncing around preaching about Jesus. That, is, that was Norman. And uh, the service came to an end, and Norman <coughs> literally ran and grabbed me as I was trying to escape out the door without being noticed. 
And he grabbed my arm and he, s- he said, oh, are you new? He knew who I was because his parents had, Gemma's parents had told uh, him about me. And uh, I said, yeah, yeah. He said, oh, uh, what did you think of this morning? I said, uh, it was very interesting. Um, <coughs> I said, yeah, it was very interesting what you had to say. And to be honest, it was quite interesting. But that was the wrong thing to say to Norman Blows. Because he said, well, maybe we should talk about it sometimes. So, uh, yeah? Okay. Um, so, so he said, well, look, if you've got questions about this. I said, yeah, I have actually. I've got a few questions. He, he said, maybe we could go out for a drink and you can ask me some questions. I was like, mm, okay. He said, I'll buy you a beer. I said, all right. Well, I'm there. I'm there. So <coughs> we, Norman and I went out for a, uh, a few drinks over a period of time, over several dates. We didn't, you know, get it all done in one night. Um, and I would ask him lots of questions. Um, but Jesus stepped into my life, and he radically changed me. Norman didn't realize everything that I was into at the time, but when I first stepped into church, I was a wanted person. I was wanted by the police. I was wanted by drug dealers. I was wanted by creditors. But most of all, I was wanted by God. And I ended up doing Alpha with Norman, and we did it on a Sunday morning, which is a bit weird, but that's what we did. And we would stay in for the first bit of worship, which was still freaking me out. And then we'd go downstairs into Norman's office, me and a few others, and we'd watch Nicky Gumbel on VHS back in the day. So if you're doing Alpha now, or you're about to do Alpha, you are so blessed. Um, and I just asked lots of questions. God broke in. And I remember doing Alpha, and I went home and gave my life to Jesus, actually, sitting on the edge of my bed. And at the time, I was sitting on the edge of my bed. I remember it very clearly, thinking, okay, God, I, I, think, I think you're real. And I asked Jesus into my life like I'd read the good Alpha prayer that I now try and take people through myself. And uh, I remember I had this bedside cabinet, and in the drawer I used to have this little wooden box and in the wooden box was all the things that I didn't want my parents to see. So there was all sorts of, there were dif- lots of different types of drugs in there that I used to sell. And uh, there was knives in there and all sorts of things. That was, on, that was right next to me as I gave my life to him. And then from that moment on, my life radically changed. God stepped in. He stepped into my broken world. I saw amazing things happen at that time as well. I saw my mum healed of cancer. I saw my grandfather restored to life. I saw debts cancelled. I saw incredible things. But the thing really that spoke to me the most was people who helped me understand and encounter Jesus. People walking and talking and being with me who already knew him. Other believers who took my questions, asked me questions. Um, I think you were given the mission cards, weren't you, at the beginning of the year? Um, and you could write people's names down on it to pray for people. My name was written on lists like that. And people prayed for me. They listened to my stupid questions. They followed me up. They took my apathy. They loved me. So you might think, well, I'm not really seeing any fruit from this, these prayers but you wonder if those people you're praying for will ever come through. Keep going. Keep going. I was on one of those lists. 
Um, you're about to have Alpha start on the 30th, isn't it, in Bexhill? Um, be bold. Who can you ask along to that Alpha? Lives will literally change at Alpha. It's why I love Alpha. I've come through it and I've seen loads of people changed and transformed through it. I'll share some more stories as we go through the morning. Um, as we kind of launch into this season as well, we're about to launch Alpha on the, I think the day before actually you start yours. Um, you can think about how can we speak to people more about our faith? How can we share this? We have the, literally the answers to life and eternity within us, don't we? Surely this should be easier. I know last week you had John Wales with you and uh, you think, well, I've got, I'm here this week. You've got these evangelistic people. Maybe they'll just give us some answers, some good things we can just write down that we can just say to people, and it'll be easy. I used to think like that. I remember listening to people like Adrian Holloway and Angela Kem and others. And I think, great, they would just tell me some things. That I just, but actually, it doesn't. What they c- we can give advice, and people can give us advice, but actually, the person we need to look at is Jesus. And today, I just want to look at an interaction between Jesus and somebody, and that, that will see what we can learn from it. We're going to be reading from John 4. It's the story of the Samaritan woman, or you might know it as the story of the woman at the well. Um, <coughs> Jesus and his disciples, they were baptizing people in Judea. They departed from there. They were on their way to Galilee, and um, they were going through the area, the region of Samaria, and they came across a town called Sychar. Um, and we pick it up in John 4 from verse 5. So it says this, So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it? That you, a Jew, ask a drink from me, a woman of Samaria. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. I think one of the first things we can learn is that the gospel goes to everyone. Jesus didn't withhold himself because of racial divides. It says Jews hated the Sumerians. Strict Jews would have even avoided the town. They would have gone a longer route to avoid that town to get to the same destination. I couldn't have got on board with that. I'm all about the shortcuts. I don't know about you. But they would have avoided the town. Jesus was also in this patriarchal society. Men wouldn't be caught talking to women in public that they didn't know. The time of day tells us something about this woman as well. The social status. Women didn't draw water at this time of day. This woman was coming to draw water because she was a social outcast. They would draw water in the cool of the day to do the day's chores. And this woman is coming in the heat of the day. We learn later that she is this social outcast. We learn that Jesus reaches through barriers to get to people. He reaches through racial barriers, through social barriers, through gender barriers, and even moral barriers. He tells her there's a gift on offer. He says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. 
This woman's shocked that Jesus is speaking to her. But Jesus is saying, you may be far from me. You may be different from me, but I am offering you a gift. Something that you cannot earn. Something that people further up the social, moral, racial ladder might find it harder to accept. Because they want to earn it themselves. Pride gets in the way. Only pride can stop us from receiving a gift. Pride says, I don't need that. So this gift belongs to everyone. Jesus doesn't privilege people further up the ladder. The gospel goes to everyone. Paul Mann spoke um, in the first week back in January about getting lost in a bit of a Christian bubble in the world he lives in as a Christian leader. But as Christians, we can all do that. And we need to be careful. We need to remember that the gospel goes to everyone. Sometimes I think as Christians we need to toughen up a bit. Not be offended by people so much. Not be offended by people that might swear that no, don't know Jesus. That don't behave in a kind of nice middle class way. We're not trying to convert people to middle class hood, if that's a word. A couple of years ago, I did a one-to-one alpha with the guy that cuts my hair. And uh, I believe it, he could probably do a better job. I know that's what you're thinking. But he, he swore like a trooper, this guy. And um, he was insulting. He was difficult. He came up with, came up with random, strange conspiracy theories. Um, he, you know, people get all sorts of ideas from a plethora of stuff out there. He was insulting to God. I don't need to defend God. He's God. And what I did was laugh with him when it was appropriate. I lovingly tried to guide him and speak to him and pray for him. And eventually it led to me leading him to Christ in his salon. And there wasn't loads of, it's just him. He, he works on his own in his salon. I you know, it might have been a bit weird. But um, it, I pray, ended up me praying for him in his salon, praying for him to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he came through. He's still on a journey. He still swears a bit. He still F's and Jeff's a bit. But he, he's come to Christ and his life is changing. Another guy called Andy was um, a recovering addict. He came on Alpha. He used to swear at me. I remember the first few weeks at church he would swear at me. And then the first week he was quite offensive to the team. Um, but we loved him. And the second week he, he basically said... What must I do to be saved? Because we just loved him and accepted him as he was. We need to be patient. Jesus was patient with the woman. Let's read on in John 4, 11 to 15. It says, the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. This woman takes him off on this kind of theological tangent talking about Jacob. Are you greater than Jacob, the father of the 12 tribes of Israel? He's, but Jesus is talking about living water, the Holy Spirit. She's 
might start here to try and dodge the deeper meaning. She misunderstands and thinks, well, I won't have to come back to the well. That would be great. And this can so often happen, can't it, when we try and talk to people. They misunderstand what we're trying to say or they dodge the real issue. And she carries on trying to dodge in the next bit. From verse 16, Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You're right in saying I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. Oh, the woman said to, to him, Sir, I perceive you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You will worship you worship what you do not know, and we worship what we know, for the salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. The woman is trying to evade Jesus for a moment. And then he goes in for that deep personal question. Who likes deep personal questions? He tries to go for the heart. And so often people can give objections to Christianity or cliches. Uh, things that just really can't be defended, actually, if you really get to the heart of what they're saying. Jesus gets personal. He says, go, call your husband. You're right when you say you have no husband. She's saying, oh, I don't want to get personal. She, he says, go, call your husband. She says, so, I see you're a prophet. Oh, changing the subject. <clears throat> Jesus is patient with her. She is constantly trying to deflect. He is constantly trying to bring it back. It's a bit like Alpha, really. So he answers, which Jesus doesn't always do. He often responds with a question. He says, you want to talk about temples? I'm making them obsolete. He says, the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. It's easy to get distracted when talking to people about faith. People take you off in all these random directions like my friend, the hairdresser. And this is why Jesus is so different from any other religious teacher because he points to himself and he is who we should point to in our discussions with people. He's who we should bring it back to. We need to awaken people's thinking. People are not only asleep, they're dead. They're dead in their sins and they will be dead, but they will try to bring up creation, sexuality, gender, suffering, all good issues to debate, but it it's just tries to kind of take you off. I have met some terrible, terrible atheists on Alpha over the years, because they say they're an atheist, and actually when they start to talk about what they believe, it's like, yeah, that's not what an atheist is. Questions are often great keys to unlock hearts 
Jesus used questions all the time. Ask people, do you really believe that? What sort of suffering did you have in mind when people talk about suffering? It's often that people have gone through something or know someone who has. What I find really helpful is bringing it back to Jesus. Who do you say Jesus is? That's what he would say. Who do you say I am? That's why Alpha is so good. In the first few weeks, it lays out evidence for his life and talks about why he dies. That's our job, is to introduce people to Jesus. If they encounter Jesus, so often big questions tend not to get in the way as well. I've met people with really big issues, but when they've encountered Jesus, those issues tend to sort of pale into the background, into insignificance. They're still there, there's still stuff to wrestle with, but actually when you've encountered Jesus, that's all that matters. A lady... Uh, who did Alpha in recent years, called Faye in Seven Oaks. She had big questions. She was in pain every day. Physical pain. She suffered with anxiety, depression. She'd been coming to our Tuesday cafe, which is a kind of mothers and toddlers thing. We have health health visitors there, and they weigh babies and stuff. Um, She'd made friends with the people there from church who were helping out. Um, But one day, her just depression got too much and she wrote goodbye letters to all of her family to her three children and her husband and her mother and uh, she left them in a house and she drove off to Beachy Head to throw herself off Beachy Head and on the drive down there she describes it, it was this horrible day it was raining, it was dark and as she talks about approaching this roundabout as she approached the roundabout, she said it was almost like the skies cleared in front of her and the, so- the sun shone down on her. And it was like someone spoke to her and told her to stop what she was doing. And she drove around the roundabout and came back. The next day, she came to the cafe um, and she signed up for Alpha and then gave her life to Jesus in, on week four. She was filled with the Holy Spirit. Her outlook has changed completely. She is one of the most evangelistic people I know now. She tells everybody about Jesus. She's quite full on, really, but it's, it's, it's great because she is passionate because she has met Jesus. And the story doesn't end there either. Her husband, Tom, he had loads of questions and loads of doubts about God. He had Suffering was a huge barrier for him. He came on Alpha after a year of people asking him and a year of Faye nagging him about it. Um, we, he came, we wrestled with lots of questions. Um, he tried to duck out of the Holy Spirit night. So I went around his house and did the Holy Spirit, took, armed with my DVDs, knocked on his door, said, Tom, we're going to do the Holy Spirit evening. So we sat there and we watched the Holy Spirit things and he, he said, I've got to do this. So he gave his life to Jesus. And as I prayed for him to be filled with the Holy Spirit, he this sounds weird, but he kind of looked just grey before. Like, not just grey hair, but grey everywhere. And as we prayed, literally colour came back into his face. He took medication for 20 years to help him sleep. That night, he slept for the first time without medication for 20 years. He's still on a, a journey, he's still struggling with stuff, but he's changed. I'm not telling you these stories because I want you to think, that we're amazing at Seven Oaks, and Alpha, we've got it sussed on Alpha, but 
the power of introducing people to Jesus is literally life-saving. Literally life-changing. So, even in our one-to-one conversations with friends, there is power when you speak about Jesus. It's clear. Be clear about who you're speaking to. Sometimes it can get lost, especially today, in a kind of post-Christian country almost that we live in. When you start talking about God, people won't necessarily assume you're talking about Christianity. Talk about Jesus. People need to know this truth. Jesus is saying to this woman, you need me. The hour is coming and is now here. You need living water. You need something that is so essential when you're desperate. It's like when you're desperate for a drink, there is nothing quite like water. It's like your, and your soul needs this like a parched mouth needs water. It's the only thing that will satisfy your soul, this living water. Jesus asks her to go call your husband. He's not being mean. He's not changing the subject. He's saying, you've been looking for living water. You've been digging wells in other areas. So far, she's been looking for it in men. She's been trying to satisfy her longing, her soul's thirst in the comfort of men. And if you try to look for this satisfaction in anything else, whatever it is, whether it's money, family, career, relationships, sex, whatever it is, or whatever it's you or others are looking in, or who you're speaking to are trying to find comfort or satisfaction in, Jesus says, you'll thirst again. We might speak to people and we think, well, they, they've got it all together. They've got a good life. They've got a job. They've got a happy family. I'm not sure if they really need Jesus. How can I, t- how can I sell Jesus to them? Everyone's life is focused on something that will ultimately make them thirst again. Everything else you have to work for. Everything else will disappoint. Only this, only the gospel, only God with us, becoming man, dwelling among us, taking our sin and our shame upon the cross, dying for us, being risen again, conquering sin and death. Only this, so we can be with him for eternity. Only this is the thing that will quench our thirst. The gospel It's a free gift of grace. It's offensive as well. People get offended by this because they think, well, they're either not that bad or who is Jesus anyway to forgive me? Why why do I need his forgiveness? Who is Jesus to forgive sin? He's the Messiah. He's the promised one that will come, the Christ, the Savior, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is what he came for. There is no one else that does this. No one else has the authority to do this. No one else has the power to do this. No one else lived a perfect life and laid down their life for yours. This is Jesus, the one, the only. He will give you eternal life. He will give your friends and your family eternal life. Only Jesus. Not a happy life, not kids and good job, nice house. No, only Jesus will give them eternal life. It's no good being friends with people for 50 years on this earth and making sure they don't feel uncomfortable for them to then spend the next 50 million years in hell. Hell is a real place. People joke about hell like it's an air-conditioned nightclub where all the cool people sp- spend their time. It's not. That's not what hell is. Hell is a reality. D.L. Moody, he's a theologian. He had a, some of you might have heard this before, he had a list of 100 people that he prayed for over his lifetime. And 90, I think it was 97 
of his friends came to Christ over his lifetime. And then at his funeral, the last three gave their lives to Jesus at his funeral. He pursued them in prayer. Keep going. Jesus reached across the divide, across the discomfort, across the racial, moral, gender divide to give life and truth. And when he did, there was great fruit, not just in that woman, but in the whole town as well. It says in verse 39, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Your testimony is powerful. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there for two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the saviour of the world. We just don't know where it will lead to if we step out. Many believed because of that woman. The gospel comes in and changes. Over the last few weeks, um, Paul and John have mentioned about being fishers of men. Peter dropped his nets and left his life to follow Jesus in the pursuit of catching people. The woman ran into town. Every time people in the Bible meet with God in a close encounter, it ends in mission. Abraham sent out from Ur, Moses in the burning bush. Peter gets a glimpse of the glory of God that's veiled in Jesus' humanity. Every time someone sees God, really sees him, they move from the inward, looking at, looking at me, to the outward. God blesses you so that you can be a blessing. He pulls you in to send you out. That's why we know we've encountered the real God and not a figment of our imagination. Because you become a person on mission. Your perspective changes. You have a heart for others. I didn't used to have a heart for others. I didn't care about what people did on a Sunday. I just wanted to kick them around on a football pitch. We're on mission. It gives us joy. It turns our attention from ourselves onto his plans and purposes. Jesus prayed to the Father, as you sent me into the world, I send them into the world. He's saying, Father, as you make me a man on mission, make my disciples a people of mission. Before that, Jesus is saying all these things so that joy will be complete. He has fullness of joy. Nobody has a joy like a joy that they know can change the world. When Jesus calls Peter into mission to go and catch men, when he calls us to go and make disciples, we find a joy that we can only find when we're serving something bigger than ourselves and our own interests. When you've got something more in your heart than your own career and relationships and own pain or life difficulties, that's when you find joy. Nobody had a joy like Jesus because there's never been anyone like Jesus on mission. If like Peter, if like the Samaritan woman, you see Christ for who he really is, you lose yourself. You die to self. You have another goal in life. There is a cost. Like Abraham, there was a cost. He left everything and he was sent out. Peter left everything to follow Jesus. God was going to bless both Peter and Abraham. He was going to bless them through the nations. All the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you, he says to Abraham. Therefore, go, get out. You cannot be a Christian and it not be public. You might start to upset people. 
they start might to, as you start to identify yourself as a Christian, people will react. They'll treat, start to treat you differently because you've got to be a sent person. Even your family might say to you, we, we christened you as a baby. What do you mean you want to be baptized? This is not a private matter. This is life-changing. You have moved, if you are a Christian, from one dimension to another. God called you to refocus, to get out of your security, out of what you know, to be bold, to trust him. If you've seen Christ for who he is, then you must. The best way to get better at mission and witnessing, who wants to be better at that? Good, a few of you, that's good. Is to know and love Jesus and spend time with him in his presence, getting to know him better through his word. Be with him, know him, know how much you're loved, how much you're forgiven. I know that's how it worked for me. The more I understood, the deeper revelation I had of who he is and what he's done for me, the more I want to tell people about him. He's the one that got out. He's the one that paid the price. Are you ready to step out of your boat? Are you ready to leave your nets? Are you ready to run into the town and tell people about him? If you're not willing to do that, if you're not willing to organize your precious time around his kingdom call, the cost of building the church, to use your gifts, because he's given each and every one of you here a gift to contribute, you're not only not listening to God's commands, you are not willing to be like him. I remember once someone saying to me they weren't coming to church on an important day because they were going to the zoo. I said, what? The zoo? The zoo? Anyway, I'm, I'm still not over that, you can tell. I need prayer for that afterwards. This is a call to catch people. This call to follow Jesus is not an add-on to life. This isn't a call for my social calendar or to fit it around my social calendar. This is the good news. But God says to people who are willing to lay down their life, their money, their time on the line, he says, I will bless you. You want more of God in your life? Who wants more of God in their life? A bit of participation this morning, this is good. Then attempt great things for him. We want to see a great number of people coming to the Lord, don't we, this year? How is that going to happen? Well, we could pray really hard that they might just come through the door. Or we have to get out. We have to attempt to bless others. It might be with people we've been friends with for a while. I wonder if there might be some of you here this morning. There's been people you've been speaking to for a long time or you've been trying on and off for years now and they've just rejected the message. I wonder if this year is the year where God is opening doors for those people. Let's expect a harvest. As he called Peter, Peter went on to write. He said, 1 Peter 3.15, In your hearts, honour Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defence to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Peter saw Jesus. The woman saw Jesus. Got a glimpse of the glory veiled in humanity. He says, away from me a sinner, but Jesus lovingly draws them in. He doesn't send them away, but gives them a job to do. You get to know his powerful, all-knowing, all-conquering love when you step out. You know his reality when you go out and bless others. He's calling us to partner with his Holy Spirit, and he commits to teaching us how to do it.
just as I come to an end, I just wanted to read this quote from Charles Spurgeon, uh, the Baptist preacher. He said this, If sinners will be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. If they will perish, let them perish with our arms around their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, at least let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions. Let no one go there unwarned and unprayed for. That is a heart for mission. That is a heart for the lost. Church, can I ask you to stand? We're going to pray. I feel like that we need to, the Lord has asked to pray over us as a church to be commissioned again for Holy Spirit boldness. Why don't you just put out your hands to him as just a sign between you and the Lord. He wants to come and fill you again with Holy Spirit boldness. Let's just set our eyes on him for a moment. Lord, we love you. Thank you that you saved us. You loved us. You who knew no sin became sin so that we could be the righteousness of God. Wow, what truth. I just want to read this over you as a church. Kings, Bexhill, Acts 4.29. And now, Lord, let this be a prayer. Let this fill you for this season. It says, now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. Lord, let that be this season ahead for Kingsbex Hill. And when they prayed, the place in which they were gathered was shaken and they were all filled with Holy, the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Lord, I pray boldness over this church right now. Boldness and courage to speak truth and life into people. Lord, I pray for everyone here gathered who they know, family, friends, or people they might have been speaking to for years now. I pray for a boldness and a courage to, for, to speak to them about you, about the life-changing truth of the gospel, of the one who came and, and saved us from our sins. Lord Jesus, come. I pray boldness now. I pray for an impartation of boldness over us Lord Jesus, come, come. Just receive that right now. He wants to fill you again. He's saying, I'm commissioning you again to go. To go. Come, Holy Spirit. He's commissioning you to, to invite people to Alpha on the 30th. He's saying, go. He's saying, who can you invite? He's giving you boldness. He's giving you a freedom to, to speak, to invite. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. I pray for fruit, Lord, this year. I pray for a, a real harvest that the church hasn't seen for, a, for many years. I pray for salvation over this church, Lord. I pray for this Alpha, Lord, on the 30th. I pray that many will be saved. Many life-changing stories, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. I pray that, that I will be hearing stories from Steve and others where people have come on this Alpha and there will be life-changing stories People moving from darkness to light. Lord, come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Pray for each individual here this morning, Lord, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to speak your word with boldness. I pray for opportunities to pray for the sick, Lord. Let us not have our eyes fixed on our own discomfort and 
feeling awkward, but have our eyes fixed upon your glory, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen.